Hey, hi, I am Richard Donner, but you can call me Dick, and you're listening to Superman Movie Minute. Is that right? Did I do it right? Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can flies 1983's Superman 3, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Kelly, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Chris Franklin. Chris, that's it. We did it. This is the final episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute. I sometimes, I, I wasn't sure we would get here, but we're, we're, we're here. As Lex said, I never thought this thing would go the distance. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Indeed, yes. Uh, we, of course, have finished the movie, and we then tackled the Superman 3 comic book adaptation. Now, Chris and I are here to wrap up the show, as we traditionally do, is with your listener feedback, your comments we got from the website, finewaterpodcast.com, in the segment, in the show we always call the Metropolis Mailbag. And, uh, of course, fun as it is doing the show, and we'll say we had some moments of Superman three where it wasn't super fun, but uh, but is you know the the reactions and getting to talk to everybody about how they feel about this movie. Uh, the feedback is always such an important part of any show, pretty much on the network. So we're always happy to finally dig into the comments across the season. So uh, Chris, you just want to get started? Yeah, let's jump in on episode one. That's busy day in Metropolis. We had comments from Chuck Coletta, Ryan Daly, Matt Soroyce, Michael Bailey, David A. Scudieris, Paul Waldenberger. Ward Tolton, Ted Killington, Brian C. Hughes, Michael Dynas, Rob McCarthy, and Ward Hill Terry. And we also got a comment from Dr. Ange, who wrote, Finally getting around to this. I haven't seen this in many years, so I will be reliving it with you. Perhaps when all is said and done, I will need to actually rewatch. Love the idea of dreamcasting. Brainiac. And need someone who can play serious but also demented in a logical way. I'm going with John Hurt. He can channel some controlled malevolence but can also do stayed if he needs it. I like that. That's a good, that's a good pick. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Mr. And Mrs. Pidlick, given the time we are talking about, I'm going with Tom Hanks. He was young and fresh off his time on Bosom Buddies and Family Ties. He is about to do all those awesome early comedies he did, Bachelor Party, Splash, etc. At that point, he has the energy, looniness, and physicality to pull it off. Well, I, would he have won an Academy Award? That's what I want to know for playing <laughs> Mr. Pidlick. Uh, but yeah. Uh, the ro- that robot lady still scares me. You and an entire generation, Ange. Uh, and I will watch Annette O'Toole and Cat People a hundred times before I would watch her in Superman 3 once. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for doing this. So. <laughs> Tom Hanks is an interesting choice, Ange. I don't know if I can exactly see it, but I, 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 I kind of can. Uh, so, yeah, that would have been... you imagine a movie with John Hurt and Tom Hanks in a Superman movie? Like that would, what, what would that have even looked like? It was crazy. <laughs> Uh, so we'll get uh, the comments from Superman 3 Movie Minute number two, four photos for 75 cents. By the way, uh, I, I, I have to admit, uh, everybody, that like I am proud of the episode titles I come up with. So that's why I'm giving myself 
<laughs> like a, another bite at the apple to, to reread them all <laughs> at the end of the season. So uh, in, in some ways, that's the most creative part of the show is coming up with the, the show title. So I, yeah, I'm, you, uh, <laughs> you do a great job with that. I, I will say I'm always looking forward to what you're going to title it. I, <laughs> I so getting, that's, it's entertaining for me as well. So. <laughs> I admit I'm giving myself a curtain call by, <laughs> by making sure we mention these in the final show of the season. So I'm just, just admitting that up front. So anyway, we've got comments from Matt Royce. David Gutierrez, Nicholas Prom, Michael Dinas, Michael Bailey, Robert Ward, Andrew Leyland, and Leah, who says, I saw this on television for the first time. Not sure which year. I was fairly young. I had seen Superman 2 at a drive-in when it was released in 1981 at five years old. I didn't know about any of the opening sequences back then. We must have started watching it late. I didn't even see it till years later when I got the DVD as an adult. Now I can now fast forward through all of it. <laughs> I do, of course, remember the iconic junkyard scene and the crazy computer lady, which stopped me from watching it for a while. It gave me plenty of nightmares. I have since rewatched it plenty of times, not as much as Superman the movie, but enough that I can follow along with your entertaining commentary while I work. Thanks for making my workdays go by faster. Well, thank you, Lila. Yeah, that's very nice. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, we also have comments, of course, for episode three. S is for Smallville. That's good. Uh, <laughs> got comments from Brian Linton, Gore Tolton, Mike Zumo, David A. Scudieres, Chuck Coletta, Tim Price, and Clinton Robeson, and Devin Clancy, who wrote, I'm a, le- I'm a little late on this. The woman changing into sneakers thing started in the late 70s or early 80s during a New York transit strike. Everyone had to walk to work for a while, so a lot of women just started keeping their shoes at work. We lived in New York at the time, and my mom was a computer programmer who did exactly that. So that was a nice detail in an otherwise somewhat tone-deaf movie. Wow, that's actual, like, that's from somebody who's had actual experience with that in their family. That's great. I love yeah, that. <laughs> I love that. That was a great, great detail. Thank you, Devin. <laughs> this is fantastic. I'm, I'm hoping Devin's mom didn't try and take over the world through her computer or anything like that. So, uh <laughs> Uh, so we got uh, for Superman uh, movie minute number four. Oh, it's you. We got comments from Matt Royce, David S. Gutierrez, Gene Hendricks, and Kelly, not my fiance, someone else named Kelly, who says, I wonder how physics work in this universe. Jimmy Olsen falls 12 feet off a ladder and breaks his leg, but Gus Gorman skis off a 100-story building and walks away without a scratch. Well, maybe Gus really is Mitch's Pidlick. Maybe that's that's <laughs> yeah, maybe, so. maybe how all this makes sense. Maybe you can make it make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, episode number five. Hello, Lana. Uh, we got comments from Ryan Daly, Chuck Coletta, Rob McCarthy, Mike Thomas, Ange, Brian Linton, Leia, and Alistair Hughes, and our pal David A. Scudieris, who said, I've seen Cross My Heart a few times. Well, a few scenes anyway. <laughs> I swooned over Annette O'Toole. Lois who? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this... This movie does kind of, I mean, this, you know, the great Lois Lana debate. I don't know if there's that much of a debate in the Superman movie series. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, (laughs) Regarding episode number six, uh, double check with our guest, Gord Tolton. We've got comments from David A. Gutierrez. Comments from Gord Tolton. Love to comment. Rob McCarthy, Siskoid, Mike Thomas, Brian C. Hughes, Zachary Jackson, and Mike Cole, who says, you guys got me to watch this movie for the first time since I was a kid in the 80s. I've watched one and two plenty but never felt the need to go back to three. There were some fun parts that I remembered, like freezing the lake and the Superman and Clark Kent fight, but plenty of bad stuff too. I tried to follow your lead and focus on the positive. And the big positive was Christopher Reeve. He looked and acted great. The man is Superman. And then there is a Neto tool. Enough said. Rob was talking about the villains in this episode. They're definitely second-rate Luthor and Miss Tessmacher. They tried to repeat the formula, and it just didn't work. Lorelai's voice hurts me worse than Tar Kryptonite. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
I guess I guess that you know her voice is a little much. I would yeah, I can see yeah. that. So <laughs> uh, so episode seven, Gazoom tight. We had comments from Ted Killington and Gene Hendricks who wrote. Just so you guys know, a CEO living in the penthouse of their corporate building is not as uncommon as you might think. For those that are unaware, I am an estimator for a mechanical and plumbing contractor. While I was working in the Philadelphia area, one of the projects that I worked on was the second Comcast Tower in downtown Philly. This building contains, among other things, three floors of television studios, an employee gym, several restaurants, and a two-floor CEO suite. Whether Brian L. Roberts lives there full-time or only stays there when he's in town is really not the point. There is a place in the tallest building in Philadelphia where the CEO can live, just like Ross Webster or the Wolfman Burn Lex Luthor. Well, there you go. So I guess it wasn't that unusual. So. Uh, the, the, again, thanks for our, our commenters really bringing the knowledge. Thank you, Gene. Uh, I mean, that's right in my backyard. I didn't know about any of that, but that's cool to know that there are still some people that kind of do that uh, Ross Webster Lex Luthor thing in real life. So, all right, good to know. Uh, regarding episode eight, I think it was Attila the Hun. Uh, we've got comments from Venkman, Ward Hill Terry, David Gutierrez, Mike Thomas, Clinton Robinson, Michael Bailey, and Brian Linton, who says, I am also a little disturbed by the scene where Clark hits Gus with the car door. In general, I assume that Clark is very intentional in his clutziness to maintain his secret identity, which means that he would have purposely hit Gus with the door. That's not a depiction of Superman Clark that I like. The only way I can excuse Clark's action is to assume he truly is distracted when he's around Atlanta. Then again, I'd know I'd be pretty distracted if I was on a picnic with another tool. Okay, Clark, I guess I'll give you a pass. Thanks for another excellent episode. I, is, I, get, I feel like liking a Neto tool in this movie is the closest an opinion gets to being actual fact, right? Like, is there yeah. anybody that feels that, that is not positive on, towards a Neto tool in this movie? I, I I don't I don't think so I don't think it how can you not like a tool you know I yep. mean and yep. especially in this movie being one of the saving graces so yeah yep. uh, episode number nine mm, green stuff with Henry Bernstein uh, we had comments from Matt Sorois Chuck Coletta Rob McCarthy Gord Tolton and David S. Gutierrez and our pal Michael Bailey who wrote it was nice hearing Henry on the show I enjoy Superman and Lois and Pal's podcast and he added a lot to the conversation. There was something he touched on that I wholeheartedly agree with. My perception of who Clark Kent is as a character really began to form with this movie. Seeing him just being Clark and having a picnic with Lana and flirting and not having a fizzy drink episode on his pants made more of an impression on me. And that's why the burn revamp was the one that brought me to the comics. So it's a straight line from this movie to me buying the post-crisis books at the super fresh. Probably it's really Clark and Lana that make this movie work for me as much as it does. I also dug the Clark to Superman changing this one. It was a neat effect and it looked like it was right out of a swan drawn comic. And it always irks me when Superman just gives the farmer a dirty look. I agree with whoever said he couldn't have seen him. What farmhand expects for a kid to be unconscious in the grain? <laughs> Great show as always. And I'm just going to ignore Chris's comment about me not being able to talk about the movies anymore. He is apparently forgetting the arbitration where he agreed to, and I'd hate to get back into litigation that the brackets episode caused. None of us have time for that. <laughs> I don't know. In terms of network history, I'm not sure what was more controversial, the brackets episode or the BVS episode. Either of those two really kind of cracked the network in half in a lot of ways. I, I think, I mean, think, I think overall the, the bracket episode was worse because I think, I think most people agree with what we've said on the BVS episode. It was just 
they weren't used to us being negative, you know. I, I guess mean, so, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so there you go. No more bracket shows. So uh, <laughs> uh, regarding episode number 10, it's fun to work at the weekend. We've got comments from Michael Bailey, Gord Tolton, Devin Clancy, and Chuck Coletta, who says, well, this episode I learned that Chris and Rob are much better than I. One, I feel no sympathy for Brad's failings post-high school. Two, I love Foster Brooks and think his drunk act is still funny despite being politically incorrect. Three, I'd probably keep the money from the malfunctioning ATM. It's no different than that extra vending machine candy bar. I try to convince myself. I guess I've learned nothing from all these decades reading Superman. <laughs> I hope your your students don't see that, Chuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I still like Foster Brooks, too. He's, he is I, still funny. I do, too. <laughs> I re- I, when I see a clip on YouTube at like one of the... Uh, like the Dean Martin roast, I still laugh at it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Episode number 11 was heavy traffic, and we had comments from Matt Soros, Captain Entropy, Mark Baker Wright, and groovy Mike Decker, who wrote Chris and Rob. As usual, I'm enjoying every five minute chunk of Superman 3 movie minute, except in re silly scenes not belonging in this quote unquote kind of movie. Like another Michael we all know, I won't bother arguing taste, but you guys need to look back to the era that the Superman movies were made and realized that this kind of movie isn't part of the superhero movie genre that you're comparing it to. That genre simply didn't, doesn't exist in 1983. The genre Superman three belongs to is the family adventure film, as opposed to the adult action film in the Norris Bronson Stallone tradition. The nearest thing at the time to what the Salkinds were doing was the Roger Moore, James Bond movies. All these were serious adventure stories with very silly and often slapstick moments made for the whole family. Shirley, I know, don't call you Shirley, and the appearance of Sheriff J.W. Pepper in Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun, as well as Superman 2, is a clear indication the quote-unquote kind of movie the Salkinds were aiming for. If you think that's comparing apples and oranges, and by all means, watch the color episodes of the 1950s Adventures of Superman TV series. Almost every episode is full of some adventure and some comedy, mostly of the silly variety. Heck, even the Superman comics of the 70s and early 80s were chock full of silly hijinks featuring such goofy concepts as Terror Man, Space Cowboy, Captain Strong, a Popeye analog who eats alien spinach, and oh so many slapstick gags featuring Steve Lombard. But unlike the earlier TV series and the contemporary comics, which were both famous squarely at little kids, the Superman films of the time period, of the same period, were made to appeal to moms, dads, teens, and kids. So just like the Bond films, you get some sex appeal and some slapstick and lots of high adventure all rolled into one crowd-pleasing cinematic experience. Despite my hopefully constructive criticism, I look forward to every new episode of this excellent podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got a point there, Mike. I think, I think you know, it, sometimes we do live in this fog of, of the modern superhero movie. And when we look back, we, you know, I mean, because we lived in the moment, I think we're more... We can we can kind of look back because we were there. I mean, I think more people that are younger than us probably would have an even a harder time, you know, mm-hmm. with the silly aspects and things. But you know, I mean, but although you know, even today, there's people commenting about. I, I know there was a review on uh, Comic Book Resource, which you know is now more a clickbait farm than anything. But uh, it, about the Spider-Man um, uh, No Way Home, that it had, you know, it it was too humorous in parts. Hmm. Uh, and you know, so, I mean, there's still some of that conversation happening today, even in our modern comic book movies. So yeah, I, but you're right. I mean, the, and we, of course we pointed that out throughout this, the, the James Bond movies of the time were definitely an influence, at least, especially on the Lester versions of, of the Superman franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And when you, when Mike mentioned some of the pranks that like they would pull on Steve Lombard or like Steve Lombard would pull on 
Kent. Like that, I remember those in the comics. And so, you know, that happened in the, in the seventies and even in the early eighties Superman comics. So that's just the live action version of, of that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I take his point. So uh, we also got a comment, some comments on our tribute episode to Richard Donner, who we lost last year. Um, Matt Sorois, Ryan Daly, Mike Dinas, David Gutierrez, and Stephen Givens uh, commented and Stephen Givens uh, left us two thoughts. You guys are so fortunate to have that memory of speaking with Richard Donner. By all accounts, he was a remarkable, remarkable man and just a joy to work with. I always go back to Gene Hackman's comments on Donner from a making of documentary and how much affection Hackman always seemed to have for him. While he never made a Citizen Kane, although I would argue Superman is right up there with CK in terms of influence and appeal, Donner accomplished something that is just as remarkable but doesn't get acknowledged nearly enough. He never made a bad film. He knew his craft. He knew how to get the best possible work out of his cast and crew, and his films were always well done and entertaining. I mean, on a rainy afternoon when you want to put something on to watch, are you more likely going to go with, say, Goonies or Lawrence of Arabia? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I'm going to go that, go that far, Steve, but uh, but I, I, I take his point. In that, yeah, Mr. Donner made a lot of great films in a lot of different genres, and he was not considered like you know an auteur where you know his personal stamp was on any given film, but there are a lot of great directors who do, don't have that. They just make great movies. And, uh, and, and yes, as we talked about many times, uh, Chris and I do feel incredibly fortunate to have spent even a little bit of time getting to talk to him directly. It was just, it was just absolutely amazing. Yes, definitely was. So, uh, regarding episode 12, Gus the Invulnerable, we got comments from K Dragon, Clinton Robinson, Mike Dinas, Mike Thomas, and John P. Grieco, who says, I have to laugh because to this day, I still, my, still find myself imitating Richard Pryor as he's explaining what has happened when he pretends to be Superman landing and sings. It's not quite the John Williams version, but it's close. And that always made me laugh. You're absolutely right about the rest of the scene, though. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, John. Uh, Regarding the episode we did on the documentary Valerie about uh, Valerie Perrine, we got a comment from Chuck Coletta who says, several years ago, I attended a screening of Lenny at the TCM Film Festival where Dustin Hoffman was interviewed by Alec Baldwin. Hoffman was effusive in his praise of Valerie. I'd never seen the film before, and it's a real standout performance, truly touching. I'm even more impressed with Valerie's courageous battle with Parkinson's. My dad has suffered with the disease for nearly 20 years. And I must say, I can't think of a more brutal illness. Every aspect of your physical being is impacted, including your ability to smell, taste, walk, talk, swallow, and more. It robs you of so much. Thank you for highlighting the documentary. Uh, well, thank you for the comment, Chuck. And yeah, we certainly hope that uh, us shining a light on the on that documentary uh, got a little more attention towards it. And Mike, like we just talked about Richard Donner, we feel very fortunate that we get to communicate with the Miss Tessmacher. Uh, you know, like this is, this is amazing uh, that we get to have that experience. And so it was great of Stacey Souther to come onto the show to talk about his movie because, uh, again, it's the kind of thing where there's so much content out there. It's hard to know what's, what, you know, there's, there's so much to see. Stuff gets lost. So uh, we were happy to, uh, to, you know, do a little promotion for Valerie because we love her. Definitely. Most definitely. Yes. Uh, episode of number 13 of the podcast, Plastics. I understand they make it happen. Uh, <laughs> we got comments from Matt Saroy, Gord Tolton, Brian Linton, Brian, Grant, Brian Grantham, Chuck Coletta, and Schizopolis23, who wrote, I always interpreted the Richard Pryor patent scene as him and Lester trolling Americana. Superman is sitting in the town circle of rural America. The whole country, I'm oh, sorry, the whole county puts on a parade for him. 
It continues the Norman Rockwell theme from Superman 1 in Smallville. Then a funny black dude rolls up pretending to be General Patton to hand Superman some kryptonite. No one, not even Superman, can interrupt his insane rambling because who could disrespect the military? That's legit comedic concept. I thought it worked. LOL. Uh, well, I, I get your point there. <laughs> Schizopolis 23. And I, I do get the point about the whole Norman Rockwell Americana aspect. But, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> we'll agree to disagree on that one. But uh, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It is a legit comedic concept. I do not agree that it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So. Yeah. But thank yeah. you for the yes. Thank you for the comment uh, regarding episode fourteen. That one simple thing. We got comments from Chris Fernandez, Matt Sarice, Chuck Galetta, Mike Cole, and Ward Hill Terry, who says the more I listen to this podcast, the more I remember why I never watched this movie after the first time. <laughs> We're doing the work so you don't have to, Ward Hill. Uh, such an endorsement. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, Terry. Yep. <laughs> uh, episode number 15, What Do You Want? <laughs> what do you want? Uh, from David A. Scudieris, Jossum One, and Mike Dynas wrote, As much as I've been enjoying this show, I'm just here to bring more pantyhose memories. Oh, man, that didn't come out right. Like you said, it definitely was the fashion of the time, and I can distinctly remember walking through department stores and seeing the legs display. For younger fans, legs was hosiery. For women, that was packaged and something that looked like an egg, hence legs. Uh, so now every time I see shiny legs from 80s movies, I think of eggs. Keep up the great work. Uh, you know, my mom would get those, and she'd give me the eggs, and I'd, you know, like, you, I remember, like, I had the Mork action figure, and something happened to the, <laughs> something happened to the egg he came in, right? And so I would use the leg egg, right, as, as this ship. So, yeah, it, <laughs> I had tons of those eggs all over the house, you know. So, yeah, it was a thing back then. It's it's really kind of weird now. But, it, yeah, Daisy Duke wore pantyhose under her shorts. So, there you go, you know. That is um, – <laughs> I love – I had the Mork action figure. That's just – it's just such a moment in time, isn't it? Yeah, I had the, I had the little action figure and the big talking one, too. Yeah. Wow, so, you were all in on Mork. <laughs> I loved Mork. Yeah, I was all into Mork for Mork. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> regarding episode 16, Damsel in Distress, we got comments from Matt Royce, Matt Zumo, Brian C. Hughes, Mike Thomas, and Ian Fletcher. He says, thinking of the scene atop the Statue of Liberty and the obvious sexual tension meant to be in this moment, I can recall watching it when I was a child in the 80s and not quite getting it. A small aside that leads to a point. I watched Short Circuit at the drive-in when it was released, and many times afterwards on VHS, I loved every moment of that film, it again was the 80s and I was young. Fast forward to the 2010s and I put Short Circuit on for my own children. Lo and behold, the number of subtle and not subtle sexual jokes and references in the movie were staggering. It went to show me that as a child, many of these moments in family films were not as big deal because our parents understood that we had no frame of reference for the humor and the relationship dynamics. Sexual tension uh, is men and women talking, women batting eyelashes, and men doing what they ask uh, the same way that Donald Duck comes down when Daisy Duck asks nicely. And here's what I enjoy about the Superman movies and the Reverend. I enjoyed Superman, the comedy, and the general plot when I was a child. In my adult years, I came to enjoy and love the movie for the characters cheering on poor Clark trying to find his way in the world while hiding his secret identity. Anyways, gents, love the podcast, and please keep them coming. Yeah, short Circuit, man. I haven't watched that in like... <laughs> I've not seen like, it since the 80s. No, I don't think I have either. Yeah, yeah. yeah wow. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure of the... His uh, Steve Gutenberg's buddy is that was that played by uh, Fisher Stevens? Him playing Fisher the, Stevens doing brownface in that movie. That's like a yeah. they reference it very heavily in uh, 
the master of none show with Aziz Ansari that like, it's the kind of thing where that guy's doing brown face. Like it's, you know, you don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't think about it when you were that age. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Episode number 17, Mr. Peanut with our pal, Andrew Leyland. We had comments from Luke Oilette and uh, Leia, Layla, I'm oh, sorry, Layla and Layla. Uh, Matt Ev, who wrote in really enjoyable episode that I, for one, always appreciate Andy lowering the tone. It was ruefully fascinating to hear you talk about grown men getting in ridiculous fistfights at garages over fuel shortages as if they belong to a bygone era. While right now over here on Brexit Island, grown men are getting into ridiculous fistfights at garages over fuel shortages. Where's Gus Gorman when you need him? <laughs> yeah, and it, we've, got, we've developed not at all. <laughs> no. No, we've we've actually backslid, I think, quite a bit. You know? Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're yeah. again, we're Superman, we you know. Uh, yeah. Regarding I, episode uh, <laughs> eighteen, composite Superman with our guest Michael Bailey. I gotta say, I was proud of that one. Uh, yeah, we got comments, comments from, and I know you hate that character. I so know. Really- <laughs> <laughs> got comments from David S. Gutierrez, Chris Fernandez, Gord Tolton, Tim Price, and Max Romero who says, put me in the the split really happened camp. As Chris Fernandez mentions above, there is physical evidence of the junkyard being torn up by the fight, which included a lot of tossing each other into equipment, etc. This is some sort of fight club parking lot thing, but that's a stretch. As for Rob's question regarding why the split is Superman and Clark and not good Superman and bad Superman, I think it's an attempt at saying that Superman without Clark would be missing that important humanity instilled by Mon Pa Kent. Without the grounding of Clark, Superman becomes an example of absolute power corrupting absolutely. It's a drum I've beaten more than once. The identity of Clark is just as important, if not more important, than the role of Superman. Also, thanks for reminding me of an tool across my heart. I think they blacked out for a second, but it was worth it. <laughs> uh, that's a really great observation, Max. I don't, I don't think that has ever occurred to me across the 30 years of this movie, or 40 years of this movie. But uh, yeah, that's, I, I think that's really sharp. Yeah, and I think, I think one reason it sticks up on you is you don't expect this movie to go that deep, you know, to, to go yeah. back into the core of the Superman of what Donner and, and Michael had set up, you know, in the first movie. And, and, and that most definitely does that his moral compass. I mean, I, you know, he listens to the voice of Paul Kent and ignores Jor-El in the first movie. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways that is pointing towards the eventual post-crisis Superman, who is much more the child of mom and Paul Kent than the son of Jor-El. You know, mm-hmm. which the, the son of Jor-El was more the Silver Age, uh, Earth One Superman. You know, it, it's it's a distinction between the the two eras. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Really great point. Uh, episode number nineteen, Superman Returns. Hmm, that seems familiar. Uh, <laughs> with uh, with David Gallagher, and we got comments from David, uh, Chris Fernandez, Asomu Yukinori, and Captain Entropy, and our friend Alistair Hughes, who wrote another ribbing episode. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Unlike Superman, you successfully crushed it. Uh, Chris Reeves' evil Superman is quite a piece of work. The combination of his physique and ruthless performance makes this character completely terrifying. I have no doubt Batman versus Superman would have ended up very differently if Bruce Wayne had tried to take on this version of the Man of Steel. My favorite sequence in Superman 3 is evil Superman's look of utter loathing when he first confronts Clark Kent in the junkyard. Before a single blow has landed, the expression of hatred, disgust, and perhaps a hint of shame on his face is electrifying in its menace. I would personally have been the first person out of the gate and wouldn't have stopped running until I reached Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does cut him quite a look. Yeah, Reeve, Reeve really, he really made a meal out of the evil Superman's performance. And, and it, it's, it, it was definitely one of the highlights in covering this movie. 
So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, one of the takeaways from from doing it was noticing how much you could understand why Reeve would really have dug into this version of Superman because he got to do a lot more stuff that he kind of got to do in the first two movies in a lot of ways. And so you could say, you know, even though the finished product wasn't so great as an actor, you could see if you're playing Superman for the third time, you're like, what, you know, what do I have to like, what can I stick my teeth into? And Reeve really sank his teeth into it. So absolutely. Uh, Episode 20, the ultimate computer got comments from Siskoid, Mark Baker, Wright, And Isamu Yukinori, who says it was a surprise that Vera suddenly knew how to use computers. Wasn't it? The TV cut had an added scene of Vera actually reading uh, a copy of Advanced Computer Technology, or at least trying to read while Eva Superman and Lorelai were doing what Rob didn't realize they were doing on the other side of the wall behind her. <laughs> Speaking of uh, stuff you missed in the 80s, woo! Oh, that's great, yeah. <laughs> you know, I really wish I'd found that DHS copy I had of the uh, extended cut and watched it, but, you know, I... I, I gave all I could, guys. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think anyone has any reason to <laughs> to be upset with our level of dedication to Superman 3 this time, Chris. <laughs> Episode 21, The Man Who Killed Superman. Uh, we got comments from David Gutierrez, Layla, and Mike Thomas, who wrote, great episode. I agree, these scenes are reminiscent of the Bronze Age Superman comic books and Super Friends, especially the Kryptonite race. Also, Superman being encased in the plastic bubble reminded me of the first episode of Challenge of the Super Friends. Toward the end of the episode, Batman somehow traps Bizarro in a giant plastic bag, and then Batman says, what's the matter, Bizarro? Can't you punch your way out of a plastic bag? I guess Bizarro didn't think to use his heat vision like Superman did here. Yeah, actually, I can see that moment right in my head. That's, me that's too. How deep challenges in my brain. Uh, Christopher Reeve is really at his peak in terms of his confidence level and physicality as Superman. And I, I, and I liked his clipped responses to the villains. I think his comments to Lorelai was justified given that they drugged him with fake kryptonite and he wouldn't have been with her otherwise. And then he did seem compassionate to her in the later comments when saying he was sorry and explaining why it wasn't him. Overall, a really fun five minutes. Despite its flaws, there is much about Superman 3 that is enjoyable. Uh, well, thanks, Mike. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There, you know, we've we've loved the, gr- the we've loved the good stuff, but uh, yeah, we made it through the other. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, episode twenty-two, scary robot lady, with our guest Brian Heiler. We got comments from Matt Royce, Siskoy, Chuck Coletta, G, Ian Fletcher, Mike Dinas, and Angie says I was so scarred by the scene that it took me a week to muster up the courage to listen. I saw Superman 3 in the theater. I think I was 12. I went with my brother, who was 16. We were dropped off uh, at the theater by my parents. I can remember being terrified of that scene in the movie. Like, terrified. When the movie ended, I was still shaken. I can remember my brother telling me not to tell my mother that I was frightened because it might mean my folks wouldn't drop us off alone again or <laughs> that it would be even more cautious in what they would let us watch. So I had to steal myself when we got picked up. But this scene is just horrific. Cronenberg is an apt comparison. Anyway, glad this is behind me. It's amazing how much this episode worked as a therapy for both Brian and Ange. Yeah, it, that reminded me. Who who is this? It's somebody that's been a guest on our our uh, network before. Whose sisters took him to see like the Friday the Thirteenth movies? Oh, or Sean something. Ross. Sean, Sean Ross. Ross. We talked yeah, about that on Film and Water. Yeah. Yeah, it was Sean. I knew it was somebody that was like a frequent guest, but yeah, that I love that story because it's like, <laughs> don't you say that? Don't you tell mom that you're terrified? You know, it's, it's that, that whole like older sibling, like, don't you get me in trouble? You know, <laughs> amazing, amazing. 
Uh, episode 23, The Mechanical Monster. I love that. That's a nice uh, Fleischer callback. Uh, although some people thought that we were actually going <laughs> to talk about the Fleischer. Yeah, I think it was they thought we could just drop the movie halfway through. And we're like, eh, let's just do other Superman now. Yeah, we're going to talk about good Superman. Uh, we got comments from K Dragon, John P. Greco, and Ian Fletcher, who wrote, I had to go back and rewatch this scene again because I could have sworn that Superman does use his heat vision on the acid to get it warming up a bit. I was wrong. I did read the official comic adaptation of this movie back in the day, though I've sadly lost the co- that comic over the years. I wonder if that's, that was something he did on those pages, and I've always filled in the blanks. And we can say yes, yep. Ian, that that is what exactly happened. He did use the heat vision in the comics. So you, you, are, you're, you didn't make that up. You do remember it. It's from the comics. So. Uh, weird bit here, but Superman almost acts like the acid is dangerous to him as well, which it really shouldn't be. I know Reeve was trying to illustrate the Man of Steel's caution with not spilling it. The shot where he is being pulled back into the computer and moving the acid to his right looks awkward. In fact, much of this scene looks really looks very awkward, and I can't imagine Reeves felt the same confidence with that he was seeing in the dailies as he did in the two previous films. Yeah, this whole sequence is, I, I, I really, I still, I don't know this, but I just feel like there was a whole lot of, like Reeve was thinking there was going to be a lot of FX added to this that was not. And yep. that's why his performance looks really strange in this sequence. So, Yeah, I think so. Uh, regarding uh, episode 24, Diamonds Are Forever, we got comments from Mike Thomas, Matt Ev, David Gutierrez, Ian Fletcher, Rob McCarthy, and Matt Sorois, who says, I'm pretty sure I know why Pryor turned down the coal mining job. One, it's a job mining coal. I mean, is there a harder, more dangerous, backbreaking job? Two, his previous employment under millionaires like Wasp Webster and Ulysses Bates were also terrible. I'm betting he decided to try to career in baseball, and I hope uh, baseball, hoping to inherit three hundred million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the theory that uh, Gus, you know, Richard Pryor's leaping into the bodies of his characters, I guess, and like I it's all connected. So. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that means the toy is part of the Superman cinematic universe, which I don't even want to yep. contemplate. Ulysses Bates, because he's everybody remembers Master Bates. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. <sighs> <laughs> that really flies uh, in the face of the whole comment earlier that Richard Donner never made a bad movie. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Steve. <laughs> Episode 25, coming at you. We got comments from Chuck Coletta, David Escudieres, Gord Tolton, Gene Hendricks, and our own Siskoid, who wrote, ever since Rob unveiled uh, Citizen Kane Movie Minute, I've been daydreaming about what movies I think I am equipped to minute. Blade Runner is probably the best answer I can come up with. So... Which well, cut though, Siskoid? Yeah, you got to do one for each cut. That's there you big. go. It's like six cuts of that movie. So yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> Let me. I don't. I don't want to put you on the spot, Chris. But like we were joking about Smoking the Bandit minute. Now, putting aside whether you would really ever do it, like that's a whole separate question. But like, do you, if if you were going to do your own movie minute show, like you you know, you were going to do it, would Smoking the Bandit be like your number one choice? It, I don't know if it'd be number one. The only way I would do Super Smokey and the Bandit Minute, and I've actually talked about this with Cindy, if I get my buddy Greg, my, 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 uh, we were friends in high school, I mean, all through school, but we went to college together, and, and we were roommates, and he's a huge fan. If He doesn't, I don't even think he listens to podcasts, mm-hmm. but if I could ever get him to do it, I would do it. But yeah. I, I can't see myself doing it with, you know, I, I, that's the way I would do it. But uh, beyond that, I really, you know, I haven't really put a whole lot of thought into it. I mean, there's there's plenty of movies I like, but I, I'd have to go and see which which ones have been done because there's been so many now. Yeah. There's so many movie by minute shows now that it's probably been 
the movies I want to do have probably already been done, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, no, I have I have a couple I would love to do, and I might even put that up as a poll on the Patreon page one day just to sort of see what people thought. But but yeah, there's a there's there's a there's a bunch I would love to do. Uh, but so we all just sort of assumed you would do Smoking the Band in a minute, but it just occurred to me we never actually you never actually said that. So I was just kind of curious like whether you would really do it or not, or whether there'd be something else. Now, of course, that would mean you had to cover Smokey the Bandit three. Oh, I can't even make it hardly through two. Yeah, I, mean, I, so, I think two's pretty awful as yeah, well. I, I, it's it's one of those movies where like only the first ones good and the rest are pretty awful i yeah, think yeah so. oh man uh smoky is the bandit i'm gonna do this Ooh, alternative we'll do the alter- cover yeah the alternative cut yeah whoa oh my lord uh and then finally uh superman episode movie minute number 26 the superman 3 movie special i didn't come up with a funny title for that one we got comments from mark baker wright and isamu yukinori uh, Jack Bone and Jeff Owens, who says one of the nice things about my age is that I was a teenager when the first three Superman movies were released, and I got to see them in theaters during their original runs. I distinctly remember seeing Superman three in Enid, Oklahoma, and the Chief Theater when it split into two, like Superman, and became the Cinema Twin. <laughs> By this time, I just completed my sophomore year in college. I was entering what I now consider to be the best summer of my pre-graduation life. But this was a rotten start to it. I was so infuriated by what I saw that I wrote a letter to the editor of the Enid News and Eagle to express my outrage. Similar to you two, I can now take pieces of the film and appreciate them, but viewing it in this five-minute chunks is about the only way I can imagine watching it from beginning to end. I appreciate that you were fair and balanced during your coverage. You may have helped me accept another piece or two of this heartbreaking entry of the franchise. Well, Jeff, I'm I'm glad we could help you out. This, 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 despite the psychological toll it took on us, Chris, uh, I feel like the show did a lot of did a lot for the listeners. Yeah, I think it helped them work through. And I mean, you know, Jeff <laughs> and, and and Richard over on the Classic Horror Club podcast they they deal with this on a regular basis. You know, they watch films and are like, uh, you know, like they uh, that have like stars. They live like Christopher Lee, and they like do like three at a time, and they'll be like. Yeah, these two, yeah, are pretty good. This one, uh, you know, so I, I, right. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe this early experience with Superman 3 kind of helped Jeff become Jeff, you know? So maybe, you know? <laughs> maybe so. We said, we, again, we're, we're glad that our sacrifices could help help the rest of you out there. Um, right. So uh, so that's the feedback we got over the course of the season. Thanks, everybody, for the comments. We really do appreciate it. I, I know we, uh, Chris and I both love reading comments as soon as they come in and stuff. We post a show and then I... You know, multiple times throughout the day, I check the post to see, you know, we get comments and stuff. So I uh, really appreciate everybody that took time to listen to the show and took the time to leave a comment. We really much appreciate it. So uh, we're wrapping up here. This is the final episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute. Uh, before we sign off, we should address a couple of things that, that you out there are probably wondering. Uh, we are going to do an episode on the Superman 78 comic book. We talked about that, but I just have not had a lot of time to kind of go through it yet. Uh, mm-hmm. incomplete and uh, I'll be honest I could get it digitally I just don't like reading comics that way I just yeah. don't and I want to get physical copies I want to yeah. read a comic you know I-, I know Shag loves it but I just can't do it and so we just haven't had the time and we just thought you know what we'll do that as like a special episode down the line uh, yeah. before we get to the next movie we'll do that so that's going to be its own thing later on and then now regarding Supergirl uh, I think I can speak for Chris where we initially were planning on doing five minutes at a time <laughs> on Supergirl. <laughs> but this this experience has taught us a lot, and we've already gone over this. 
that doing a movie by minute show on a movie that you don't absolutely love is a lot more work than we would have guessed. Yeah. And uh, so I, we are not going to do Supergirl five minutes at a time. We just can't do it. But we are going to do a show on it. Absolutely. What, what form it's going to take, we don't exactly know just yet. I think we can safely say Ange will be involved. I think he would, mm-hmm. never, <laughs> he would never forgive us if he wasn't. But we will be doing some coverage of that movie in some way next at some point. That's as, that's as specific as we could get about Supergirl. So while this is the final episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute, this is not the final episode of Superman Movie Minute, period. Right, right. And I, and I think, you know, because of our mantra to find your joy and, and us trying to be positive, especially after the BBS Accords that we brought up earlier, um, you know, doing a movie by minute uh, on a movie that we don't love. I mean, yes, we could bag on it for five minutes at a time, but who wants, who wants that? We don't, yeah. There's enough negativity. There's enough nerve rage out there in the world. We don't want to contribute to that. So. Absolutely. So we just want to have one episode where we talk about the good, the bad, the great. Helen Slater's great, uh, you know, <laughs> and and and, uh, and 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 just do it all in one, and not not torture ourselves and our listeners uh, by being unhappy for months at, at a time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, so yeah. So you, you know, like I said, the, there will be more episodes of Superman Movie Minute coming, but this is it for Superman Three. So. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Of course, we're always going to be talking Superman movies over on Twitter at Superman Movement. Uh, you can find all the back episodes of the show on the website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. As always, we have to thank Alex Robinson, Pete the Retailer, who created the movies by minutes format uh, with Star Wars Minute. And uh, we appreciate them being so generous with the format with all these uh, people out there that want to kind of copy what they're doing. You can find all the movies by minute shows listed at moviesbyminutes.com. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be named checked on the show of your choice. So one last big thanks to Henry Bernstein, Superman's pal, and Ian Fletcher for their support of the show. We very much appreciate it, guys. Yes, thank you. Woo! We made it. (laughs) We made it. So uh, that's it for now, but keep watching the skies for the return of Superman Movie Minute. Giorgio, per favore. E grazie.